For me, fashion is a verb. So it's too fashion. You're listening to Wardrobe Crisis with Claire Press. Join me every week as we look at sustainability, ethics, and the business and madness of fashion. 2021. I can't believe it. Where did last year go? Anyway, Happy New Year. Hope you had a good holiday, or indeed are still having it. I'm back at my desk and raring to go with the return of our Pass the Mic podcast series. This is the first of three episodes we've got focused on Indigenous Australian stories. So important, and I can't believe it's taken us this long, actually, but I'm thrilled to be bringing them to you. Our guest host this week is Yatu Widders-Hunt, a journalist and advocate for the Indigenous fashion sector, and she's also the woman behind the Instagram account Oz Indigenous Fashion, so check that one out. I've known Yatu for years, actually, through sustainability circles. She's terrific, and here she is. Yatu, I asked you to hop on here and do this intro with me because I wanted to get you to share why it's so important that we're talking about Indigenous fashion in this episode. Tell us a little bit about what we're going to hear and why it matters to you. Thanks so much, Claire. I mean, for me, this is a really important and personal issue as an Indigenous person. For me, I think fashion is incredibly powerful. It's a continuation of a storytelling tradition that is at least 60,000 years old. And for me, it also really represents the anchor of the Australian fashion industry. So I think that's really exciting that we're celebrating these designers and these traditions so much more publicly now. It feels like now there's way more attention. Even in your own work, suddenly everyone's clamouring to get you on their boards. Everyone's turning their focus to Indigenous fashion this year, right? What do you think? I mean, we've absolutely seen a complete change, I think, in light of the BLM movement. That certainly shifted things. And I also like to, I hope that it's also a sign of maturity of where we are in our nation, that we're walking closer to reconciliation together and that we're starting to see the value and the joy and the beauty in this work and really accepting and embracing it as part of our Australian identity. We're very lucky we have three guests on this episode. So we have the wonderful Sinead Hobson, who's an Indigenous curator and who is currently curating an incredible Indigenous fashion exhibition, so we'll be talking to her about that. And she's super young, right? I know. She's amazing. She, I mean, she's like um, 23. Yeah, yeah. But she's really making a mark as one of the country's curators to watch. And we also have two of the designers who feature in the exhibition that Shanae is curating, Tegan Cowlishaw from Ali, which is a sustainable streetwear brand from Western Australia, and Julie Shaw from Mara Collective, who's really pioneering co-design and collaborative fashion experiences. She's based here in Sydney but works all across the country. Fantastic. Can't wait. Now, don't forget, you can find all the notes and links from today's episode on our website, which is thewardrobecrisis.com, for info for Bendigo Art Gallery, including the details of their next exhibition, which is actually Mary Quant, Fashion Revolutionary, direct from the V&A in London. That one happens in March. You can go to bendigoregion.com.au forward slash bendigo dash art dash gallery. Hey everyone, I am your guest host for today, Yatu Widders-Hunt. I am a very proud Anawan Dangari person from New South Wales and I'm also the founder and curator of social media community Australian Indigenous Fashion. We're here today with Sinead Hobson, First Nations curator at Bendigo Art Gallery 
and um, we're very excited to be speaking with her today. But before we kick off, I did just want to formally acknowledge country and acknowledge that I am joining you from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. Thank you, Yatu. Hi, everyone. My name is Sinead Hobson and I'm a proud Kanju woman from Cohen, Cape York Peninsula. Um, I'm coming to you today from Jaja Orang country in Bendigo. For those that might not be familiar with what a First Nations curator is, give us a little bit of insight into what that role is. Yeah, so I started at Bendigo Art Gallery in 2018. Prior to that, I was studying a bachelor's degree and I majored in anthropology and art history from Melbourne University. And a key part of my role in Bendigo is to really engage with First Nations communities here and really be a platform for getting First Nations voices and perspectives into the museum and gallery setting, which historically can be very Western institutions. So for me, it was really important to work with the local community, but also with First Nations mob from all across Australia and to really share our stories and histories um, with broader audiences. We are one of the largest regional galleries in Australia, which is very exciting. Um, it's a pretty dynamic team as well. It's great to be able to be in a position where you can kind of change the narrative and change people's perceptions when they interact with Indigenous art or come into a gallery for the first time and see Indigenous painting or a sculpture or an installation. For so long, our stories and our histories have been told through a Western lens. So it's only when we start making sure that we're actually having First Nations representation in these spaces that our histories are told through our lens. I always had a passion for art and it definitely has led me to where I am today. And I'm just really fortunate to be able to work with so many amazing and talented First Nations designers and artists every day as part of my job. You were incredibly active when you were an undergraduate in this space and you worked on the Big Awaken exhibition, which featured a lot of cultural heritage objects. I did intern a lot. So I worked at the Melbourne Museum, interning there, doing research on First Nations collections from Northern Australia, a lot of the artefacts from my country as well. And so for me, it was really important to be able to work on the Awakened project with the amazing Genevieve Greaves and to be able to go back into community and talk about some of the artefacts which were in the museum's collection from the Donald Thompson collection, but also to reconnect stories and community and that idea of living cultures and history and attach those to the artefacts. And the exhibition was, a real, I think, a milestone in terms of being able to get mob involved and get the conversation happening, making sure that in the future that these artefacts do come back home and that we do get our old people to reconnect with them because it's been such a long time. And to be able to go out on country and interview some of the mob and listen to their stories was really rewarding for me as a young person because I'd grown up in the community my whole life and, you know, engaged with mob. But to be able to do it in a way that was contributing you know, hearing stories that I hadn't heard of these artefacts that were taken away. And there's definitely a long way to go, and I know the conversations are still happening. But for me, yeah, it was a super important project to work on. And I think museums are really interesting spaces. There's a wonderful exhibition 
uh, permanent display, the First Peoples display at the Melbourne Museum, Banjalaka. And there's so many beautiful stories there and a wonderful curator, Kimberly Moulton, and a lot of mob doing a lot of things as well. So it's great to have them as well working in this space and to, to look up to. I love the way you talk about reframing objects that have traditionally been in gallery and museum spaces into living entities and living culture. It's incredible to see that shift within the gallery and museum sector, but do you also see that that way of thinking or that way of approaching things has a bigger impact on how we connect with culture and also for for broader Australia to do that as well? Yeah, I definitely think it does. I think it dismantles those preconceived ideas that Indigenous culture and history is a thing of the past because it's really not. It's a continued history and a living culture that is thriving and adapting to our environment and constantly evolving and changing but also still strong in, you know, who we are and our our values. Yeah, that's so true and you've touched on this idea of shifting the narrative and of like changing the experience as well for people coming into these places and I think when we often talk about going to a museum or a gallery to see Aboriginal works, we often think of paintings or visual art or sculpture But there's also this whole other industry that I know that you are very involved in, particularly at the moment, which is in the First Nations fashion space. And, you know, a lot of people say to me, oh, look at this emerging industry. I'm like, and I think, my God, it's more than 60,000 years old. Hmm. (laughs) It's, It's always been there, this tradition of design. I mean, how do you see the kind of relationship between what would maybe traditionally be called the Aboriginal art industry Mm -hmm. versus the wearable art or fashion industry? Yeah, I definitely think that there's a lot of crossovers. And for me, my first experience with Indigenous fashion as a kind of industry was when I attended the Cairns Indigenous Art Fair fashion performances. So Grace Lillian Lee was the founder and creative director of these incredible performances, which was such a celebration of history and culture, but also to be able to see the incredible work of our designers and artists who are, like you said, continuing on that tradition of storytelling and adornment wear, but also being really creative and innovative in terms of their materiality and their designs. I always love and I remember going in 2017 to the Wandan fashion performances and there was a collection of works by the Mornington Island ladies and their stories and their designs were exactly the same narratives that they do on canvas only it had been on fabric and to be able to see them wearing their garments in the fashion performance and really celebrating who they are and this continued history of storytelling and mark making through art was really just a a beautiful and kind of a light bulb moment for me. We've really sort of seen a bit of a, a bit of an explosion this year. We've had the very first National Indigenous Fashion Awards. I think a few months ago, Vogue for the very first time had an Aboriginal artwork as their cover for their hope issue. I mean, it's really sort of taking off in the broader fashion community as well. I mean, do you think people are surprised at how much of a thriving and dynamic industry the First Nations fashion industry is? Yes and no. I think social media has been a really good platform to get our stories out there. The work that you're doing as well is super incredible, you know, to be able to have that platform to showcase the vibrancy and vitality of 
so many incredible artists working in different spaces, whether they're collaborating with non-Indigenous designers, whether they've got their own businesses or, you know, just starting out jewellery making. So I think in terms of it being a surprise, historically there definitely has been a gap in the market in terms of our stories and the industry really recognising us. You know, you had the incredible Linda Jackson who did a lot of work with First Nations communities and the Batik women in Utopia. But I just feel like today there's that real strong push for First Nations artists and designers to really be the voice of change. And it's through people like Grace Lily and Lee and Tegan Cowley Shaw and Julie Shaw from Mara Collective who are participating in the Melbourne Fashion Week events and showcasing their collections and just being the voice of change in this space. I think there's a new wave of real game changers and artistic innovators who are really putting First Nations voices and perspectives out there and kind of coming to the table and saying, you know, this is important, this is why First Nations fashion is so integral to all fashion because of, you know, our values in terms of sustainability and wastefulness. And interestingly, covid although it's been a really sad time, has also been a time for a lot of change and I think for a lot of people to really reevaluate the impact that they're having on the environment in terms of, you know, mass-produced products, products produced overseas, you know, looking at slow fashion and sustainability, which is so much entrenched in what a lot of Indigenous artists and designers do anyway through their everyday practice is really important. So I think that has been, I guess, a key theme and one of the reasons why people are also gravitating towards First Nations fashion. Now, I know you are very entrenched in the fashion industry at the moment because you are curating an amazing exhibition, Pin P, at Bendigo Art Gallery, and it's known for its love and support of fashion exhibitions. We've seen Balenciaga exhibition there. We've seen that Bendigo's just announced a Mary Quant exhibition for 2021. Pimpi is a survey of contemporary Indigenous fashion and it's really a world first. It hasn't been done before. But before we get into the detail, I think everyone is curious to know what does Pimpi mean? Yeah, so Pimpi is a Kukuyawa word from my great-grandmother's language and There's not really a Western term that translates, but it's really about the passing of time on country and that understanding of changes in the landscape. Because for a lot of First Nations people across Australia, knowledge of the land and the seasons is really important. So, you know, certain flowers will indicate when it's the right time to collect a certain bush fruit or, you know, what colour dye might you be able to use when you're weaving. So that inherent knowledge of the land to me was a really important part of what I wanted to kind of incorporate into the exhibition. So Pimpi was just the right word. And I've got a beautiful quote by my great-grandmother, which is actually in the exhibition as well and kind of sets the premise for the show. So the exhibition is based thematically off Kukuyawa seasons and the intention with that was to really give audiences the feeling like they were being transported onto country because so much of Indigenous fashion is really about the land and culture and storytelling through fashion. And so 
we really wanted to create that rich experience when you come to visit the exhibition. I worked really closely with Alara Briggs Patterson, who's a Yoda Yoda woman, and she actually grew up in Bendigo, and Becky Freeman, who did this beautiful soundscape. So when you come in, you'll be able to hear songs from country in language about this changing of the seasons. You'll also be able to hear, you know, the rainbird calling, the, the fire, the wind, all these elements from country that really make us who we are as Indigenous people today. So the exhibition is more than just kind of the passive conventional museum experience. It's really about being immersed in Indigenous culture and storytelling and feeling like you're going on to country where some of these artists live and work and so much of their everyday practices, you know, based around. That's really cool, sort of stimulating all the senses and making it a much more, I guess, holistic experience. Yeah. It's yeah. really beautiful. Thank you. And I think, too, part of that was my experience with the Indigenous fashion performances is they weren't kind of your catwalks where models walk down with garments. It was a whole choreography. There was storytelling and dance and everything involved in that. So it was really about recreating that experience in a museum space. Oh, that's really cool. I've been to a few of Grace Lee's shows and they're just amazing for, you know, people that haven't been, they, you know, they involve dance, performance, song, music, sometimes fire, natural elements. It's, yeah. it's an absolutely beautiful experience and a really, you know, I feel really proud that that's, um, it's like a First Nations led runway in exactly. a contemporary world. It is. <laughs> They're pretty epic. <laughs> and I know that the exhibition that focuses very much on contemporary fashion and, you know, we have, as we've said, like such a long history of design, tens of thousands of years with the original fashion industry <laughs> in this country. Mm-hmm. Why was it important for you to sort of really highlight and focus on contemporary practice? Yeah, I think the main reason was because I really wanted to give audiences a snapshot of the work that was happening today Um, There's so many Indigenous designers and artists out there. This is the first exhibition, but it's definitely not the last. So I hope that following this, there'll be more opportunities for curators and artists and designers to showcase their works in this type of space. And I think traditionally, like the history of Bendigo Art Gallery and our incredible fashion exhibitions, I never really saw myself represented as a First Nations woman, as a black woman in these kind of European designers and stories. And so for me, it was really important to have that representation as well. I really wanted to showcase the incredible work that our mob are doing today. You've got Grace Lillian Lee's beautiful woven body sculptures to the woven pendanus hats from the women at Bula Bula Arts to textiles and more contemporary couture style garments from the artists at Hopevale. We've also got the beautiful woven hats from the artists at Bula Bula Arts. So that was a collaboration with Julie Shaw. Yeah, and it's, yeah, as you say, it's so diverse and there's so many different techniques from different parts of the country. I think one of the important things about Indigenous fashion is that as much as it is about the product, it's also really about the process. So coming together, the women going onto country, collecting materials, making the baskets and the mats and the dilly bags. Um, and the beautiful things about the woven hats is they've still got that traditional weaving technique, but 
just through a really contemporary and sophisticated design as well. So the hats are definitely they're so amazing. They're so amazing, <laughs> and everyone should be wearing them because they're sustainable as well. Those hats also, for those that haven't seen them, look them up. Bula Bula Art Center and Mara Collective. Yeah, they look right. like they remind me of like Bianca Jagger hats. They're huge. They're stunning. They've been featured in Marie Claire in Grazia magazine. And Mara Collective, I think, actually won the major fashion design award at the inaugural Indigenous Fashion Awards this year. So, you know, definitely you've got some of the best practitioners in your exhibition and you've as you said you've got so many you've got Grace Lee you've got the work from Mornington that she um, helped to curate and collaborate on you've got artists like Lin Al Young whose incredible works with silk beautiful prints I mean I don't I don't want to make you pick any favorites but are there particular pieces in the exhibition that really speak to you or that you that really resonate with you? I think I have a different favorite piece every day because it is really hard. We've got over 70 different artists and designers with just a little over 100 different objects. But one of the really significant works for me is Tegan Callishaw's Deadly Queen jumpsuit. Tegan is a body artist um, who grew up between Darwin, Perth and Broome and she's got her own label, Ali, which specialises in streetwear apparel and her Deadly Queen jumpsuit is fabulous. It's all upcycled materials, it's got the deadly text written on the back and it's really just a powerful expression of who we are as Indigenous people but also to be able to wear clothing and just feel sense of pride but also to that notion of decolonizing that western space and having visibility within the colonial space I think is really important and her designs are really about empowering the next generation of indigenous youth. And how do you think you know what's the best way to sort of learn these lessons because there's so much knowledge in community about you know treading lightly on the earth how to be mindful of resources and regeneration even the way we work with each other Mm. to make sure that those relationships are sustainable and respectful like how do you think we can share these lessons is it through working on collaborations together or sort of more formal ways of teaching what do you think would work best yeah, I think it's case by case. So depending on, you know, the designer or the artist, I think whenever you're approaching First Nations designers, just from my experience working as a curator, it's always open collaboration and understanding. And it's not, for me, it's not just kind of, you know, really tokenistic gestures of we're going to work with Indigenous people. We feel fulfilled now. We'll do this project and that's it. It's more to it. There's really... You know, you have to be asking yourself, what am I doing in terms of my engagement that's ensuring sustainable livelihoods? You know, how am I making sure that Indigenous people are the creative designers and have creative control and creative autonomy over their creations? Because that's really what it's about. Sometimes it's taking a step back to let First Nations people be the voice and be the change in this industry. So I think there's a lot that can be learned. But I also think fashion is a really approachable way for people to understand our culture as well you know supporting designers supporting artists buying their work I've got a beautiful Grace Lily and Lee necklace that I always wear because I love it so much it's a must have it's a must have have. (laughs) you know and I feel really proud when I'm wearing it because I'm supporting Grace but also too I'm showing off my culture to the rest of the world 
And it's so, it's so awesome and it makes me feel so excited to see how much people love and engage with First Nations fashion and, you know. But one of the things I get asked a lot, and I'm sure you get asked a lot from, particularly from non-Indigenous Australians, is is it okay to wear First Nations fashion? Yeah, I think definitely if the designer and artist are marketing and selling their work at retail price to support them, um, so long as you're doing your research and making sure that the products that you are buying are actually made by First Nations people and that if it's a collaboration, that the collaboration is ethical, totally support. It's good to have allies in this space and I know me personally, when I see someone wearing an Indigenous design in the street and they're non-Indigenous, I'm proud. And now we're talking to Julie Shaw from Mara Collective. Thanks, Yatu. Thanks for having me here today. Mara Collective is my brand. It's women's resort and swimwear line, and it's based on the foundations of collaboration and co-design. So the name Mara actually refers to the words for hands in Uwalaroi and Gamilaroi language groups, so where I'm from. I'm a Uwalaroi woman. And so the name Mara Collective is really about, you know, many hands coming together. That's beautiful. Such a beautiful principle. When we talk about collaboration and working in true partnership, why do you think it's so important to work like this? Because we see, you know, it's such a competitive industry and people are not necessarily always being open with their ideas or open in terms of giving up control of their creative process. But why is it so important to you that this principle of collaboration is really so much part of how you work? Well, I, you know, I feel that collaboration is all about sharing stories, coming together to share our stories and experiences. To me, true collaboration is, you know, it's about an equal partnership between both parties where, you know, each contribution is equally important and equally acknowledged. Last year, I co-designed a collection of resort wear and woven accessories with some female Aboriginal master weavers from Bulla Bulla Art Centre in Arnhem Land. Bulla Bulla Arts Centre is located in Ramanginning, a community in northeast Arnhem Land. So that's way in the top end of Australia, a tiny plane ride from Darwin. The artists are Yongnu from the surrounding homelands and they produce the beautiful traditional weavings and fibre works and also paintings. I was invited to travel up to Arnhem Land and stay in the community of Ramanginning and spent a couple of weeks working with three of the Yongnu master weavers. I was part of the process where they were harvesting and collecting the materials for the weaving and just, you know, watching these women move so swiftly through the bushlands. They have such deep knowledge of their country and their environment. They knew exactly which plants to go to for a certain bulb that you can't even see because it's under the earth. And, um, you know, they worked really hard to dig for the roots and the bulbs and to pull down the pandanus leaves and just to see the passion that goes into that. And then they bring these materials back and they prepare them and they weave these absolutely incredible pieces that are telling stories of their ancestors and, you know, generations before them. That's such a special experience. It was just such a privilege to meet them and spend time with them and learn from them. So in the beginning, we had conversations about what we could make and we talked about the concept of making these large 
resort style hats, which I could just visualize as being so beautiful using, you know, colors from country and traditional weaving techniques. So I showed the ladies sketches and tear sheets and fabric swatches and designs to give them a feel for what we could create together. Everything just came completely from nature, was completely sustainable. And, you know, we only took from country what was needed. We presented that collection at the Country to Couture Runway Show as part of Darwin Aboriginal Art Fair. So I designed the garments and the ladies designed and handmade the woven accessories, which included these beautiful hats, also woven belts, bags and jewellery. And these are techniques that have been passed down to the women for many generations. There's so much story held in those processes. And I think one thing that, you know, I know you're really passionate about as well is that the process is just as important as the outcome. So there's a whole story behind it. And I know you often share the story of your work in when you release things. Why is it important for someone who's buying their fashion item to really connect with that story? Yeah, it's really important that the the consumer can be involved in that story and experience that story and feel like they're a part of it. So when I have a collaboration, I always tell that story on the website when they're purchasing the garment and they also receive a little artist card and story about that. And it's just connecting the consumer to the print and the artwork and the reason for that product being. I called Tegan Cowlishaw from Ali Fashion to ask her about that deadly jumpsuit. Your time starts now. The time starts now. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, we're having a chat now to the amazing Tegan Cowlishaw from Ali. Tegan, we know that so much of your work features the word deadly, which we know is used in our communities all the time. What does deadly mean to you? Well, growing up, deadly when I was younger, everyone always kind of had it as a slang language for being good or excellent or awesome. And as I grew older and did some research, I've actually found out that the Irish use it in the same context, that it means exactly the same. Wow. So, yeah, I thought that was really interesting because I think it must have gotten connected in translation during the convict times. There's a whole other story in that. Yeah, I think that's pretty <laughs> deadly. <laughs> that is deadly. Now, you have a very famous and glamorous and beautiful jumpsuit that features the word deadly and it's part of the Pimpy exhibition but we've seen it all around the country. Tell us about this amazing jumpsuit. What inspired you to create it? Well I definitely wanted to do something that was pretty outrageous and I think I got that across with my jumpsuit. I think I was very lucky to be involved um, initially in the Melbourne Fashion Week capsule which beautiful Sinead stumbled across and then came and saw me at a, I ended up doing at RMIT a talk and she came and poached me then and said that she wanted my jumpsuit in Pinpi and I felt completely honoured because it's the first time I've ever been acquired by a national museum or gallery and yeah, so to me that's such a huge milestone And to actually make it, I had leftover um, cushion cover material. So that's why I thought I'd go on then, being upcycling queen, (laughs) use my leftover (laughs) fabric. And I ended up using an old top that was broken 
So I cut that up to have the print on the back. And if you look on the the detail on the yoke, that's um, kind of what we try to represent with the texture was um, fish scales to go towards what Ali means. And Ali means um, fish in Bardi language. What was it that inspired you to start Ali? Mm, I would really go back that my inspiration was my nana, not only with the naming, but just being, because she got dementia, being stolen generation, I really didn't have that kind of traditional, one, I didn't have language and I didn't have that, you know, traditional learnings passed down to me. So it was always that kind of thing that how could I create a fashion label that wasn't just essentially creating fashion. I wanted to do something different. So as a young kid, I was always recycling because I was surrounded by my um, godfather and godmother who were drag queens. So I was always dressing up and playing around. So this kind of recycling element and then this kind of, you know, vintage fashion being surrounded by that, I feel that that's what ignited that kind of sustainability and ethical practice but then I wanted to do something for my family and community. And I was always surrounded by fashion by being around, you know, all my uncles and aunties and doing fashion runway shows with my mums and communities. So it just kind of naturally went down that path. What a great story. So from a young age, obviously, you were interested in, in the field. Yeah, there's like all of these like 80s photos of me, this little one, and all of these tall like drag queens, big <laughs> hair, terrible makeup, and all I can remember is always trying to get into their heels and walking around in their heels all oh, the time that's so cool. with their like vintage kimonos and a lot of sequins. For those that don't know, Ali, how would you describe your label to people that, that aren't familiar with it yet? Yeah, I would definitely describe it as a a sustainable and ethical streetwear brand. Um, we specialise now in, in custom streetwear and dead stock apparel. We love doing partnerships to try and get upcycled products. And I, I love that I'm 100% First Nations owned and operated. I, I really take that with pride. And if there was one piece that you've created through Ali that you think really sort of speaks to the heart of the brand, what would that be? Oh, I think just recently a collaboration uh, that I did with Mim Bedding where we got her leftover bed sheets and we turned them into um, sleepwear. So going back to a Indigenous um, brand that's in Darwin where I grew up and two Darwin girls collaborating and taking, yeah, leftover bed sheets and making these this sleepwear, I think has just been super fun and definitely what I feel is a good definition for my brand. I mean, you're known for bold styles, really edgy styles, <laughs> you have really cool caps that you make. What sort of drew you into streetwear? What What's the power of streetwear? Really that next generation, that that trying to connect to the next gen, I think has always been my inspiration to try and make them dream that I'm being from little old Darwin, moved out to Perth and have been here for 24 years, but to show them that anywhere in the world that you can kind of be inspired and and live for your dreams and, and do what you want, especially in fashion, 
And then I was kind of lucky that at the start of my journey, because I had connected with Nobody Denim and upcycling their jeans, I wanted to go around and get more partnerships. So we worked with OCC Apparel in Sydney and got all their dead stock. And that's how we kind of went into the apparel areas with with doing our T-shirts and our caps because I really wanted to continue that upcycling using dead stock, which would normally go into landfill. And that's been a huge kind of way to get my products out to a wider community because at the start it's it's quite expensive to do upcycling, so not everyone can afford the, these deadly jumpsuits. <laughs> so I was lucky that I could create like, yeah, essentially a product that, you know, mob and community could purchase and then mob and community could wear with a sense of pride. Yeah, that's really cool. And I know, you know, you've been one of the pioneers of raising sustainability as a big issue and about how important that is culturally as well. Mm. And also, you know, lifting the voices of First Nations fashion designers. Why now? Why is now the time for us to really be coming together and, and highlighting and elevating that? We've really never had this kind of platform. We've never had a voice. We've never been invited to the table. Obviously, with Black Lives Matters, I think now is the time. We've definitely been on the wings of many, many designers. I go back to when I was younger and was influenced by Annie Lenore Dembski from Paperback Woman, Uncle Ron Gidget from Gidget Designs. You've got Francine Kickett. You've got all of these old deadly designers that we did back in the, you know, 30 years ago. And now it's like just becoming a new revolution again. And I think it's just super exciting that we're now in national exhibitions. We're going into retail now with our wonderful pop-up that we did in Sydney to be given platforms like podcasts and actually getting our voices out there. It's super exciting. And I think the time is definitely now. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, it's just incredible to see how how much things have changed even in the last six to 12 months in terms of the storytelling. What do you think was the barriers? Why do you think we haven't had as much of a voice before in this industry? I wouldn't actually know that question. I feel that it's really quite interesting that we haven't been actually up to the table because we have influenced and been that inspiration for many designers in Australia for over 20 years that I think it's finally now for us to continue our own storylines, have our own platforms, have our mob continue culture through fashion because it is a part of, I would say, reconciliation. It's such a, a smooth way to actually be able to interact, educate through fashion, to be able to, you know, have our art centres and brands to share share these kind of traditional stories that are passed down through generation to generation, I think is magical. And yeah, now we're finally getting recognised. That's incredible. And you've described this period as almost like a revolution. I mean, we honour and acknowledge all the people that have come before and all of the people who have paved the way. But you know, you've described this this sort of generation and this spark as a bit of a, a revolution of sorts. What do you mean when you say that? I feel like it's because we, yeah, we started on on the backs of of other designers, being from our aunties and uncles, from Annie Lenore Dembski, Paperback Woman. Yeah, we've got Uncle Ron Gidgip. I still call him 
the godfather of Indigenous fashion with his couture back in, in the 80s and 90s, but to really spark this revolution for our next generation to, to be motivated. We really need to be, you know, with our youth, you know, high suicide rates, lack of self-determination, completely lack of motivation, especially being out, you know, so rural. I think it's this spark, this igniting for these, this next gen to really, they need to understand you can be anywhere in the world. And I find, especially being out on community, that's what makes them so unique and special, what makes them so, the stories and the products so beautiful is because they're out on country. They can fly into Sydney and come feel flash and deadly for a, a moment to, and then they can go back home and be with their, their mob and continue their ancestors' legacy. Thank you for listening to Wardrobe Crisis. You can find the show notes for each episode and read our magazine over on our website, www.thewardrobecrisis.com. And that's where you can also sign up for our free sustainable fashion newsletters. I hope you've enjoyed the show. I'd love you to help us spread the word. Tell a friend, share on social media, or leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps new listeners find us on the app. You can get in touch with us on social media. The show is on Instagram at The Wardrobe Crisis, and I'm on there too. And on Twitter, I'm at Mrs. Press. Finally, if you'd like to support us financially, look for Wardrobe Crisis on Patreon. There's also a link in our Instagram. But for what you'd spend on a magazine each month, you can be part of the Wardrobe Crisis patron community and you'll get exclusive podcast content, articles and special access. Because I love you Because I love you